is full of irony. A culture that wants to try to say there is nothing spiritual, there is nothing beyond what we can see, touch, taste, smell, nothing beyond what we can experience. And I think this is especially true in the West. And yet, it takes about 30 seconds on IMDb to fill a list of movies, of over 200 movies, just with devil in the title. So as much as we want to pretend that there is no devil, there is no God, we can't escape it. We can't escape the reality that spiritual, spiritual things are happening beyond us and beyond what we can see, and that's our goal with this series. As we keep talking about stranger things, the things that we can't see, the things that happen behind or outside of our sight that God's watching over. Not only will you find that same thing on IMDb, but a quick search of Netflix gets the same results. Doing a little research this week, I found out that Satan has a Twitter account, an Instagram page, multiple Facebook pages, and a few podcasts. So I I don't know what you're going to learn on any of that, but they're out there if you uh, search for them. And I wonder if this isn't exactly what Satan wants. If this isn't exactly his plan. To appear as some Hollywood character that's not real. To convince us that there's nothing beyond what we can experience. And then he is free to roam and free to work. Because we don't believe it. Yet a quick scan through the pages of scripture will give you the same amount of results almost as anything you search on Google. Satan shows up for the first time in Genesis chapter 3 and continues to weave his story all the way through the pages of Scripture until the second to last chapter of Revelation. You see, the truth is Satan is real. Satan is at work. C.S. Lewis says in his book, Screwtape Letters, and if you're not familiar with this book, it is a fantastic book to read. It's written as fiction, but tells some pointed truths as uh, Uncle Screwtape, who is like the senior demon, writes to his nephew Wormwood to tell him how to tempt us and how to trip up Christians and how to pull people away from God and into Satan's plan. At the beginning of that book, He issues a warning that we should avoid thinking too little about Satan. But we should equally avoid thinking too much or making too much of him. And I think what he's really trying to get at there is this idea that Satan is not Hollywood's creation. Satan is not a little guy who sits on your shoulder in a red jumpsuit with little horns and a tail and a pitchfork. Satan's a serious enemy, and his mission in life is to destroy you and I and everyone we love. If you look at the Gospel of John, John says this, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. That's Satan's goal, to steal life to destroy relationships, and if he can, to kill us. 
So no matter what you call him, Satan, Prince of Peace, the devil, evil, we have to realize he's real. And if you're like, well, you know, that's, that's cute. I, I'm not sure I really believe that. Maybe consider the reality that Jesus believed he was real. Paul believed he was real and wrote about him. Peter believed he was real. And Moses, who wrote the first five books of the Bible, believed he was real. He's included in all their writings and in all of their t- conversations. We might also consider that it's only in the West that we struggle with this idea that Satan is real. That the global Christian church has no struggle believing that, Christian is, that Satan is real. But if you want to take a nap today, I understand it was a beautiful day yesterday. Maybe you worked in the yard and you're ready to just like kind of zone out today. This is the one thing I want you to hear. This is the most important part of this. Yes, Satan's real. Yes, he's a real adversary. But the gospel makes Satan a defeated adversary. The gospel makes Satan a defeated adversary. And a defeated opponent is probably the most dangerous opponent. Satan's known since Genesis that he was defeated. There's a prophecy there. Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 says, He will strike your head. And the he in that is God pronouncing to Satan that one day Jesus will come will crush his head, and Satan will be defeated. And so he's known from the very beginning what his ultimate end is. But if you're a sports fan at all, you know the underdog is the most dangerous team to play. So I love to watch sports. I used to like to play sports. If I still looked like I played sports, maybe I could still play them. But in March, there's this basketball tournament that is like the greatest thing ever. If you don't know what March Madness is or have not watched the top 68 teams compete for a national championship, I tune in every year just to see if a number 16 seed can actually upset a Duke or North Carolina or a Kansas, because let's be honest, nobody wants those three teams to win ever. And you're just hoping that that underdog could come up, and that underdog often plays in ways they've never played all year because they know they have nothing to lose. If they lose this game, they go home. If they lose this game, their season's over. And so they fight and they claw, and every year, multiple lower seeds, multiple underdogs beat the superior competitor. And I think the same is true. Satan is defeated. Satan is the underdog, but he is coming on full attack And I think we can all think about times in our lives where he's won because we haven't listened to the words of 1 Peter that Pastor Jose read for us. Stay alert. Watch out. The part of that verse that I love is it says, Satan prowls around like a roaring lion. Now, he's like a lion. Obviously, Satan is not a lion, but even metaphorically speaking, Satan is never referred to as a lion in Scripture except for this one place. But the one who is referred to as a lion is the one who's already defeated Satan, and that's Jesus Christ, who we call the Lion of Judah. And so I picture Satan, this is inside my head, it's a really scary place to go, but if you go inside my head a little bit, I picture Satan as like this little kitty cat. 
who walks around and every once in a while he becomes like the Incredible Hulk and he like roars real big and he kind of threatens us and he kind of attacks us and he acts like he's this really tough cat. But the reality is the minute Jesus shows up, the minute the real lion shows up, he remembers, I'm beaten. Now Satan comes in two ways. He comes in two different types of attacks. The first is the obvious. And we're not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about the obvious. I think the obvious ways we see Satan is in the work of the occult, in demon possession. And these things are real. They're absolutely real. They happen all over the world. They destroy people's lives. The occult is a live thing. But my guess is, living here in Golden Valley, most of us haven't ever sacrificed a chicken to Satan in our backyard or seen our neighbors sacrificing chickens. None of us have probably ever sat and like watched somebody's head spin all the way around because a demon had inhabited their body. So we'll talk about those that are real, but the attacks that are the most dangerous for us, if they're not obvious, they're subtle. And it's Satan's subtle attacks that I want to spend most of the time on. C.S. Lewis, again in his book, Screwtape Letters, says, Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, the soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. You see, the way Satan's going to work in our lives is going to be much more deceptive, much more subtle, just little things. Maybe little things like, oh, you don't need to go to church today. Just sleep in. You've been like three weeks in a row. Or little temptations, little thoughts he puts in our mind, little things we say that hurt relationships that over time begin to deteriorate and destroy. So on that first time we don't go, we think, oh, that was okay. And then the next week comes around and, wow, I got a lot done on Sunday morning. I'm going to work in the yard again. And next thing you know, you don't remember the last time you've been in the presence of God's people to hear his word. I think Satan has three subtle attacks. First is his lies. This begins in Genesis chapter 3 when he approaches Eve. And he looks at Eve in the garden and he says, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit of any of the trees in the garden? You won't die. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. You see, in his lies, Satan begins, begins to plant doubt in Eve's faith in what God has told her to do. And then as he works that doubt and keeps pushing at it and digging at it and digging at it, he leads her to this place where she goes exactly against what God wanted her to do. He didn't start with, hey Eve, go eat that apple or go eat that fruit off the tree. No, he began with a lie that caused her to doubt. And that doubt and that belief, slowly as he kept picking at it, led to action that was counter to what God had asked her to do. Did God really say? Where's Satan use that phrase in your life? Did God really say that? Does God really mean that? 
you know he's still going to love you if you do it anyway, right? And he begins to use those subtle lies. The second thing he uses in his subtle attacks is he uses scripture. If you look at Jesus' temptation, he says, if you're the son of God, jump off. Jesus is on this like building, this tower. Satan says, jump off. Scripture says he'll order his, his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt, hurt your foot on a stone. Satan knows Scripture and he'll use it against us when it's convenient. He used it against Jesus. He's not against using all the things that he wants to use. He'll use any means necessary to deceive you. Jesus' response, though, is he quotes Scripture back to Satan. If Satan knows the Bible, Satan knows the words that God has said, Satan twists those words and changes them ever so subtly and uses them to his advantage. Do we know Scripture? Do we know Scripture enough to quote it back to him? Enough to say, no, that's not what God said. This is what God said. This is God's command. And lastly, Satan will disguise himself as a messenger of truth. 1 Corinthians 11, or 2 Corinthians 11 says, For such men are false prophets, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Russell Moore says this in one of his podcasts called Satan Votes Christian Values. Satan is not fearful of external conformity to rule, not even to the external conformity of the rule of Christ, provided there is no cross. Satan does not mind family values as long as what you ultimately value is family. Satan does not mind social justice as long as you see justice as most importantly social Satan does not tremble at, Christian, at a Christian worldview. He'll let you have a Christian worldview as long as your ultimate goal is viewing the world and not the cross. You see, we get tripped up. It's even the little things. It's the good things that we think, this is good. I'm going to value this. But the minute we take Jesus and the cross out of the center of our lives and put something else there, our values our political party, our church, Satan wins. Because Jesus is the one who defeated him. It's Jesus' life, Jesus' death, Jesus' resurrection that gives us victory over Satan. It's not any of these other things. Satan hates the truth. And he'll tell us any lie possible, any small deception possible to make sure we get away from it. Russell Moore continues, he will let you get what you want no matter what it is. Sanctity of marriage, environmental protection, orphan care, all of these good and wonderful things, he will allow you to gain those provided you do not preach and proclaim through the power of the cross that cancels his power of condemnation. Satan will give us anything. He looked at Jesus and said, all the kingdoms of the world will be yours. If you bow to me, 
What he was trying to do in that moment is say, Jesus, all of this can be yours if you don't go to the cross. Because he knew the minute that Jesus went to the cross, it would all be his anyway, but he would be defeated. And so it's in that moment, in that temptation, in that story that he's taking, trying to take the cross out of the center of Jesus' life. And if he tried it with Jesus, why wouldn't he try it with us? I think Satan has two methods. Two methods in which he comes and attacks us. If you look at Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 6, a final word, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on all of God's, God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. The strategies of the devil. The word Paul uses there is diabolos in Greek. It's probably the only Greek word I know, so don't worry, you're not going to get a bunch of those. And it essentially means slanderer and tempter. And that's exactly what Satan tries to do. He tries to tempt us. And in his temptations, what Satan's doing is causing us to hold too low a view of God's holiness, too high a view of God's love, and too high a view of ourselves. In his temptation, he's causing us to have too low a view of God's holiness, too high a view of God's love, and too high a view of ourselves. It's exactly what he did to Judas, who'd walked with Jesus. Satan comes and he tempts him. He says, Judas, you want to be rich? You want a little money? Then just betray Jesus. And Judas, for 30 coins of silver, gives in to that temptation and turns Jesus over. Temptation's all around us. It's different for each one of us, but they're truly deceitful. And I think one of the things that Satan does when he tempts us with this is he's like, listen, it's not that bad. Nobody else is going to get hurt. This is just between me and you. It'll be okay. If you go in your office late at night and you close the door and everybody else is asleep and you turn on your computer and you look at those pornographic images on the screen, nobody else is getting hurt. Nobody else is awake. You served last week. You gave up your time last week to help somebody. You don't have to give it up this week. Just live for yourself. Be selfish this week. It's okay. Your explosive temper, it's okay. As long as you say sorry when you're done. As long as you apologize. It's not that big a deal. Everybody's got tempers. Everybody loses it every once in a while. What's the temptation in each one of our lives that Satan's using? If he's not tempting us, he's accusing us. And when he accuses us, he hides from us the love of God and plays up God's holiness and gives us a low view of ourselves. A high view of God's holiness, a low view of God's love, and a low view of ourselves. How many of you have that thought in the back of your mind about that one thing you did? 
that still every once in a while pulls you down. That you just can't quite get over. You can't really forgive yourself for that relationship that you broke or that thing you did that hurt somebody else. But Satan continually accusing you continually reminding you, or maybe it's an inner thought that you're like, you know, other people who follow Jesus definitely don't struggle with the things I struggle with. Those are just my struggles. Those are the things I do. No one who really loved Jesus or was really loved by Jesus would actually think or do the things I think or do when nobody else is around. That's Satan's attack. That's Satan's accusation against you. They're not the truth. The truth is God has a holy standard, but God loves you. The truth is that our identity isn't in what we do or what we think, but it's in who God says we are. And so as we begin to fight, to wrestle back against Satan, I don't want to get too deep into this because this is kind of where Zach's going to go tomorrow, next week, but I want to give you three things. And the first one is probably the most remarkable thing. I don't know if you guys ever do this, but I read Scripture And then I'm like, oh my gosh, I totally forgot that. Like, that's amazing. And I had that moment this week as I was preparing. I'm like, wait, that's true. And I totally forgot it. So maybe you've forgotten it too. The number one thing we do to fight against Satan's attacks, against his temptation, is to realize that Jesus prays for us. Like actively, every day, Jesus prays for you. The God who created all that we see, the God who designed you, who knit you together, the God who came and dwelt on this place, who died on a cross and who rose from the grave, sits at the Father's right hand as the conquering king and prays for you and me. That's amazing that he, the one who loves us so much, still prays for us. Romans 8, 34 is where we see this. Who then will condemn us? No one For Christ died for us and was raised to life for us and is sitting at the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. Hebrews 7.25, Therefore he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on our behalf. When Satan comes to accuse Jesus prays. When Satan comes to tempt, Jesus prays. Let that sink in just a minute. Like, don't miss that as like, oh, that's really cute spirituality. Let that sink in for just a minute. The God who created you and designed you takes time to pray for you. I used to think it was really cool when my grandma prayed for me. And I kind of, you, you feel a little bit when like people who you know pray for you every day pass away. Like my grandma was pretty great. Jesus is perfect. He's God's son. And he's sitting on the throne praying for us. Second, no Satan's strategy. Like they're the strategy Satan uses against you. Paul says stand firm. Peter says, watch and stand firm. Jesus warns Peter the night, he's about to be betray- the night he's about to betray. You need to pray. You need to ask for strength. Satan is going to tempt you tonight. Peter, wake up. You've got to pray. How much time are we spending thinking about how and when Satan attempts, uh, attacks us? 
or tempts us or accuses us? Is he more likely to tempt you or to accuse you? Which one of those two is more helpful in your life? Are there times when he's going to attack you? Are there cycles in life where Satan attacks? You know, as a parent of two young kids, oftentimes Satan attacks at, oh, I don't know, about 10, 15 on Sunday morning as my wife is bringing the boys to church or, or sometime right around 11.45 as we're like going home and screaming at each other in the car because somebody did something. They're not big things. Remember, they're not the obvious stuff. It's the subtle stuff that Satan's using to attack. How does the way I speak to my kids on a Sunday morning or a Sunday afternoon affect the way they view God? They hear me talk up here and say one thing, and if we get in the car and say something different, how does that begin to erode their faith? How's Satan attacking you? What's his strategy? What strategy does he use against you? And third, the gospel is our armor that stand to stand against Satan. The gospel is our armor. We hide ourselves in the cross of Christ, realizing that we can't do this on our own. We can't beat Satan. I can't stand against his temptations. I can't stand and say, I'm not ever going to do that again. But it's in the power of the gospel, in the power of the cross, that we are set free. Set free to have life the way Jesus came, abundant life. Again, listen to Paul in Romans 8. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ died for us and was raised to life. Our lives are hidden in Christ's death and resurrection. Now we all know I'm trying to get in, I'm, I'm working hard, it's been three and a half years, but we're still working on this Lutheran thing, right? But every once in a while, Martin Luther just says some stuff, and I'm like, I think we could have been friends. He says, when the devil throws your sin in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this. I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? I like to make Martin Luther a little sarcastic. I'm pretty sure he was, but it's my take on it. For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and where he is, there I shall also be. Amen. That's the power of the gospel. Satan is so afraid of the cross, of Jesus, of his crucifixion. He'll give anything because Satan, the gospel, makes Satan a defeated adversary. Yes, Satan's real. Yes, Satan is powerful, and yes, he's deceptive. Yes, Satan wants to destroy you, to ruin your life, to steal your joy, to break your relationships, and if he can, kill each and every one of us. He wants you to believe the lie that you're okay without a savior. He wants you to think that the form of godliness counts for something, even if it doesn't have the power. He wants you to suppress the truth and the righteousness and exchange the truth about God for a lie. He wants you to love the world and ignore God's word. He wants you to be happy or sad or scared or complacent or hungry or full. Anything that gets you focused 
on something other than your union and communion with Jesus Christ. But it's the power of the gospel, the power of Christ crucified and raised again that terrifies him because he knows that the minute Christ came out of that grave, he was defeated forever. Do we live that way? Do we live that way that says Satan is defeated? Not because of me, not because of you, but because of Jesus. Do we proclaim the power of the gospel? Do we stand watch? Do we stand firm, trusting in Jesus to be all that we need him to be? If you're here this morning and you're like, ah, I, I'd like to hear more about this Jesus. I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to tell you about the God who loves you, the God who made you unique, the God who designs you, and the God who will protect you from Satan's attacks and temptations and who can give you life abundantly. And so if you're here and you don't know that, Jesus, come, come find me after the service. I would love to tell you more about him. And if you're here and you're a follower of Christ, don't ever forget, Satan is defeated. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word for the truth it speaks into our lives, for the way it explains life to us and helps us see clearly who you are and what you want from us. Thank you for the truth it sheds on Satan, your enemy, your adversary, the one you defeated. God, we thank you for Jesus Christ, for your son who wouldn't allow Satan to win, who stood firm and who conquered death, who conquered evil, that we might be free. God, help us to live our lives that way. Help us to go out and to share that message of your son with those around us. Compel us to do it. Give us passion and zeal behind it that others may be set free that others may be given real life, that your kingdom may spread in this place. God, that's our desire, and that's our heart. Would you join with me now in praying the Lord's Prayer?